This is Things Can Only Get Greater, the podcast where we discuss how small changes can make a big difference in fighting the climate crisis. With me, Victoria Cook and Adam Costello. So, Adam, this is my first ever episode of Things Can Only Get Greater. Yep. How are you feeling? Um, I'm feeling excited. Um, I'm feeling optimistic and you're feeling my leg Adam get your hand oh. up it get it stop Sorry, it I didn't realise it was yours uh, oh. um, so things can only get great let's talk a little bit about why we started the podcast yeah good shout can I just tell you my personal story I'm just going to lay it on the line for you here Adam um, okay alright so um, really I didn't know anything about the climate crisis I mean I'd heard of it obviously but I'll be honest with you I always just flicked past that page in the magazine uh, you know, and went to like the problem page or something like that instead. I do like a bit of an agony, Anne. But um, I didn't really know anything about it and I just wasn't really interested. I was just busy living my life, eating packets of sushi, bottles of Diet Coke, you know, flinging them over my shoulder, having a great time. Just like didn't really consider the implications at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, and then I met you, Adam, and you just crashed me to reality like a punch in the face changed your life forever (laughs) uh well yeah a little bit so now i know a little bit more and uh it's quite interesting well it's really interesting and um, i'd like to know more so that's why we started this podcast yeah is just to get some information know what's going on and Totally. Well, I don't... Learn a bit without not, feeling bad about it. I'm certainly not saying that I know, like, every, everything at all. It's just I, I was, I'm probably in a different position to you um, and to, a, to loads of normal, everyday people because... You're definitely in a different position <laughs> to normal people. <laughs> I would totally agree with you. Just from, like, going surf, like, um, if you're going surfing, you um, are, like, in the sea, in, the, in like, nature, in the would environment. Would you say you're a naturist? Um, I'm a naturalist, more than a naturist. All oh, right, is it naturalist oh. when you're nude? Oh, I don't know what I am. Because <laughs> you're nude right now. <laughs> Stop it. So when, so well, you're a big surfer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you and you have been what your whole life? Yeah, since a little kid, I suppose. Yeah. So mm. I've been like surfing like Anglesey and Wales and stuff since I was really really young. So I've been around like when there used to be like raw sewage pumped into the uh, see, did it make your hands glow? <laughs> I think I might be um, mentally uh, changed from it. Yes, really? potentially. Yeah, I could probably sue the government if I wanted. Do when you're surfing though, do you ingest a lot of water? Um, if you you can do, yeah. I mean, you don't if you're want thirsty. to. Well, it's like seawater, isn't it? It go, makes you go crazy. Maybe that's part of the problem. Mm. Um, so yeah, like um, you, you like, but. Surfing aside, it's like swimming. You want to be able to swim in the sea, but you don't really want to be swimming in sewage. Um, Does anyone? Uh, what about those people that like do that mud? Um, oh yeah, bathing? those guys like, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so really, like being a surfer, you kind of seen raw sewage, and you're trying to surf in like poo, tampons. What was it really, really that bad? Yeah, yeah, genuinely, yeah. Yeah, but it is like it still is like around the world in loads of places, really, Mm. isn't it? Think about like third world countries that aren't are gonna be treating their sewage. But that aside, um, that's when that's probably when it became like in our in our heads, like it's sort of a thing. And so things like companies, sorry, charities rather, like Surface Gate Sewage, uh, were set up and they helped massively to totally change 
um, the UK's water quality and have done amazing stuff. And then fast forward 20 years uh, and now I've got things like the plastic pollution issue and just general crap ending up in the sea. So there's like a, there's a whole world of pain <laughs> yeah. around this. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you sort of like... You, you've seen the effects of it firsthand yeah. when you've been out there on the waves. Aye, and then it just, and then the thing is, like things like plastic pollution and sewage and things like that, just they all feed into what the climate crisis now is, I think. It's kind yeah. of a bit of a gateway drug. Like plastic pollution is the gateway to. Hang on, no one mentioned drugs in all this, Adam. Oh, yeah. I sorry. think that was just when you were in the club. <laughs> okay, yeah. uh, let's not confuse the two. So David Attenborough, that's sort of yes. That's, that's what he. That's what he's been talking about all this time, you totally, know. Yeah. And I was busy watching Big Brother, <laughs> um, but now my eyes have been opened. So for this first episode, we've got an interview with Sean Berry. Yeah, we do. Who's Sean Berry? So Sean Berry is the co-leader of the Green Party, mm-hmm. right? I, you know, and to be honest with you, I, I felt a little bit apprehensive before we interviewed her because I've interviewed uh, some politicians before and it's sort of like interviewing a mirror, right? You interview, you ask them a question, but they just sort of reflect that question back. They never, re- in my experience, ever, they don't really give you any real answers back. Yeah. Um, and they sort of deflect loads of things. Yeah. But Sean Berry, was, she was brilliant. Yeah. Like she was just sort of like sitting in her house having a cup of tea, wasn't she? Yeah, we just, just chatted to her, didn't we? Because that's, that's the thing about um, whenever you see journalists interviewing politicians there's always like an agenda on both sides Mm. so you can never really like the politicians surely going to feel like under loads of pressure to answer the question right and like there's all political reasons around it and then the news journalist is like trying to trip them up and stuff it's always like an uncomfortable I don't know if we're smart enough to trip anyone up. <laughs> I just wanted the answers. Yeah, and yeah, she yeah. gave us them. Totally, you know, yeah, she, yeah, was yeah. So, she was really great. Yeah. Uh, and then we found out she was running for Mayor of London. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, on, in May. I think it's the 5th of May. Yeah, so if you're in London, I don't, we can't vote for her although although i'd happily move to london just to vote to get her in she'd get she'd get my vote for sure yeah definitely i mean like if you obviously the green party can never get in um, or they might do in like years and years to come but they've not got enough seats have they to get in mm. as a general election but what you can do is get a green mayor in and a green mayor for London would be like revolutionary so wouldn't in it? the sewage <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but it would be so good wouldn't it really oh, like, man, it'd changes be amazing. that could be made So that's what. well they'll hear about it all in the interview because she was yeah. so good at sort of like letting us know what her plans were for the future. Mm. Um, and I don't mean like what she was going to have for tea. I mean, you know, what, what she planned for for our country, for the future. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah, so that's going to be a great one. And we've got loads more brilliant interviews coming up. Uh, we do. For, for the rest of our Should we episodes. tell the guys? No, okay. no. Let's just save it as a treat. Awesome. Something to look forward to. Uh, so I think we should say where we are. We are in Portugal. Did you want us to say that together? Let's try again. We, we are, are in, in Portugal. Portugal. Oh, it didn't work. But yeah, we're in Portugal. Uh, normally we're in Manchester. And I mean, the two are pretty similar. <laughs> I'd say. Um, but we're having a little holiday, aren't we, Adam? Working holiday, chatting. Working holiday? Oh, well, we've been cleaning the beach, haven't we? Well, hang work. on, hang on. Let us get this straight. I was looking at 
men's bottoms on the beach and you were looking at rubbish. What did you think of the rubbish situation in Portugal? Just pretty typical of Atlantic beaches that are just pounded oh, with big... Adam you're so pessimistic it's so typical of Atlantic beaches no I just meant is like it no to... really though is it like that well yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, or, it, yeah. well like any beach that's like right on the ocean like this mm. um, is gonna just be get, get covered in like styrofoam plastic bottles fishermen's nets and that's just off your lunch <laughs> um, yeah I mean there, there is quite a lot of rubbish on the beach My yeah. the favourite thing I saw though was that somebody like some wonderful human had attempted to do a beach clean mm-hmm. and they'd gone out with their plastic bag they'd collected all their rubbish right and then they just dumped it on the sand dunes well, it looked like they just received some bad news or something <laughs> and, and they had like ah, drop it <laughs> oh, nah, and off they ran but at least they tried like, yeah, put, no, it, put, it, put it into one place yeah, yeah. yeah. maybe they're coming back later to get it maybe they are but it looked like it had been there for about a month yeah it was pretty discoloured or maybe it was like they just really needed one of them dead nice custard tarts they've got in Portugal and they were like sack this right off so at the minute we're on a beach in Panish. Panish. Panish in Portugal. You know it was Panish. I don't. I don't remember. Um, and we went up to Nazare, which is where the biggest wave ever surfed. Yeah. So was. yeah. Ever. Well, people who. It's. I mean, it's world famous now, isn't it? Like, but we went to Nazare on probably one of the biggest days. We just totally happened to be there. Uh, we just got lucky, really, haven't we, with choosing to come at this time. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was like was it 60 foot plus. 60 Who knows? Like, but the, from the pictures I was looking at in the museum, the biggest one was 100 foot. Oh, is it in? Yeah, I didn't see that. Oh, did you not? Nah. Yes, they had, yeah, the biggest wave, they think, was 100 foot. Yeah. Um, which is insane. Yeah. Like, you would just die, wouldn't you? How can you, like... Well, yeah, they've just got they're obviously towed in by jet skis, and then if they fall off, they uh, have like these life um, vests. What the surfer has a life vest on? Well, it's like um, yeah, specially made for big wave surfing, and I don't know if they have like a plug thing that they pull and it like inflates the vest and makes them go straight up to the top of the the top of the uh, mm. water. But still, it's is that cheating? Well, and that's just surviving, isn't it? But some people, big proper big wave surfers... But, like, shouldn't will... it be, like, at the end of that film, Point Break, right? <laughs> Where, like, I'm going to go out in a big one! And then if you survive, you survive, and if you die, yeah, you totally die. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if if you're a true big wave surfer, yeah. you, wouldn't be, you wouldn't have a jet ski, but... You wouldn't really use no. You wouldn't have a life vest. You wouldn't have a life You'd vest. Be it's going just like, rogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just well the wave out the front here. Um, I don't a, think it's that big. It's pretty big though. It's not sixty foot though. <laughs> <laughs> so should we get on with the podcast? Let's get on with the podcast. But before we do, I think should we just tell people a little bit about ourselves, where we've come from, what we do? Uh huh. Yeah, go for it. Um, well, I think you might have mentioned that you're from Whitley Bay, but um, I'm... can I can I just get it straight though that it's Whitley Bay and not Whitby Bay. Because wherever I go, Whitby. Yeah, wherever I go, people Whitby are like, Bay. "Oh yeah, I know Whitby." You just Bay. say Whitby, don't they? Nah, I've had that so many times. Whitby is so great, right? But I'm from Whitley Bay. It's great. No offense to anyone in Whitby, uh, but you know, I'm yeah from Northumberland, and for a long time I did comedy. Uh, still do a bit of comedy and also a bit of writing. Yeah, mm-hmm. you do it's a bit of bit of bit novels. of writing. Spot of writing. I don't do novels. novels I actually write for TV, 
but uh, autobiographies. Adam is desperate to get us to write a novel, <laughs> but what would I write about? I don't know. I don't think I've got. I'm not interested in writing a novel. You will one day. Maybe. So yeah. Uh, so my name's Adam Ovs, uh, <laughs> and I. Ovs. I run Inland Sea, so we're a sustainable clothing brand. Um, we're just basically trying to raise awareness and help protect the environment for our future generations. Is that your elevator pitch? Well, you know, I just read so- it off my website. Oh, right, because <laughs> you'd forgotten. Yeah. Uh, yeah, actually, what I've noticed is, as we're sitting here recording this, we're both pretty much head-to-toe in Inland Sea clothes. Naturally. <laughs> And sometimes my favourite moment was uh, when we went to bed the other night, peeled back the covers and realised we were both wearing exactly the same Inland Sea t-shirts. Well, you can't beat a free t-shirt, can you? You can't beat a free t-shirt. And organic cotton. Recycled. Beautiful. It's like butter against the skin. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, really, I've set up Inland Sea um, to clothe people in sustainable clothing and just like everyday mm. wear and like the same with this podcast and we're just trying to raise awareness of uh, environmental issues and climate change and mm. that's what we're going to talk about today it certainly is yeah so without further ado should we let's listen to a bit of sean berry let's hit it <laughs> There's two reasons why people might vote for you. One is like if they think you're decent and might win. Um, those are like the credibility side of things. Like they need to know that their vote can can make a difference and all of those sorts of things. Um, and then the amount of attention you get, the amount they've seen you. Um, obviously, everything we say is completely right and correct. Um, so the more people see us, the more people see that about us. Um, but yeah, the, the the actual the issue itself and the fact that there were so many. Uh, people on the streets made a difference. I One thing I noticed is, like, because obviously during elections, you go and talk to um, more people, like, that you've never seen before, people who are not, not normal, you know what I mean, but people on the yeah. street, yeah. People, in, people, you, people who aren't involved in politics, you, you, you spend a lot more time talking to. Mm-hmm. And a lot more of those people are coming up. And obviously I'm the Green Party knocking on the door, but they'll make a point in conversation of saying... Um, are my, my daughter, my cousin, my, my friend, my, you know, someone they know has been and done a protest. Mm. And All obviously right. that is very different. So I think the, the protest movement, particularly uh, the youth uh, strikes um, and somewhat Extinction Rebellion and the big, um, on one of the school strike days in September, they organised protests in basically every town. Um, and every city and in a lot of towns particularly I mean cities see protests anyway like we have stop the war protests and things in cities but in smaller towns they've never seen a protest that big ever Um, and that I think has a has a real impact so yeah the the urgency of the issue was was supported by the evidence people saw in their own friends and family and I think that's really powerful because they're not just seeing it on the tv they're not just seeing me saying it they're hearing it from a cousin or, or whatever so yeah actually i just wanted to tap into something you've just said there like the youth movement in this is massive what do you think it is that's inspired them so much i don't know about inspired as the right words you know that mm, Greta made yeah. that speech where she was like do not stop saying i've inspired you for heaven's yeah. sake yeah oh yeah <laughs> um and i think it is the it's the urgency it's this 10-year deadline because yeah. imagine if you're, if you're 
like 12 now yeah um and you're just in secondary school and you're just being taught like new things like that you can make a difference in the world things you don't generally get taught at primary school um and then you discover there's 10 years to make a difference uh you're going to be not old enough to be in charge at the point at which it might be too late and I think that's why the, the sort of next tactic of protesting, of, of pestering people like me who are already in positions of, of influence um, is, is what they've adopted. I think, I think Greta's got a good analysis of, of that in, in lots of ways. Like, what's the difference I can make? Well, I'm not going to just wait and grow up and deal with it then because it'll be too late. I'm going to do something right now. Yeah. And that's a bit different than it has been in previous generations. When I was in my teens and 20s, I could go, well, I think I might go and study this at university and then maybe one day I'll, you know what I mean? It was, it was a different situation than now when things, you know, we, the next three years are, are vital or we're going to miss the 10-year yeah. deadline. Yeah, and, and attitudes as well, I think. Like, yeah. when I was 12, if I'd skipped school to go to a protest, my mum would have absolutely raked us, do you know what I mean? But now, you know, I've got a 12-year-old daughter and... Uh, encourage, think, well, encourage it. Everyone's encouraging it now. It's rare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, I mean, you know, people, it's people sort of our, our age yeah. who went through, like, the, the previous wave of climate protest and mm. um, trying to do something about it. And we've, we made the Climate Act... In the UK, which was quite a big thing, we did a bit. There was a really massive campaign by Friends of the Earth called the Big Ask that got the Climate Act brought in and the targets. And most countries don't even have that. Okay. Uh, and that was ten years ago. But it's, it's since then it's all been too slow, and there's been backsliding. And so yeah. those of us who went through that are, are just like, well, yeah, two right kids go on the streets. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're talking about like this 10, 12 year, um, like time scale that we have like the, the the clock is ticking um what do you think the most important questions we need to answer right now um like we're talking about action like i know i feel like two, uh, 2019 was like the year of discussion and now it's like a new decade we, we could even say this next decade is so vital to what's going to actually happen for the rest you know for our children's uh, future and um, so what do you think like the most important questions we need to answer right now and what is the actual action that needs to take place? I mean, Extinction Rebellion are a good reference point for this because they've mm -hmm. sat down and, as you know, discussed things at great length and come up with ideas and, and proposals. And theirs are basically tell the truth, set the right targets um, and involve everyone in sorting it out. And I think those that is, you know, as a basic framework, that's mm -hmm. very good. Um, obviously, the, the right targets is, is 2030 for... for carbon neutrality in the whole economy that's enormously difficult to do um, and therefore we can't just do you know like a few big projects you can't politicians love signing off like oh we'll just do nuclear power and we'll we'll mm -hmm. you know have one program that's this it doesn't really work like that yes we need to do the big energy um projects we need to do the big things with with cars and the market there which is big government type stuff but then so much goes on in local areas so much is about whether or not you've got a shop you can walk to or yeah. a supermarket you can only drive to all those things that are right in the local community right. and so this call for citizens assemblies locally to really drive out the carbon all the way down mm -hmm. is vital as well so so yeah, yeah. That's so investment in the in the election. Like, did you see me discussing with uh, Sophie Ridge on Sky News? You know, she did that thing with Joe Swinson where she put up the big the, the, the bar chart that that, that lived down oh, to yeah, win yeah. here. Um, so that was like their dodgy bar chart. So she put up a bar chart when I went on, 
um, that appeared on the screen. I was like, oh, what's coming on the screen? What's this going to get? What's it going to be? She's going to get me. And it was the chart of how much money we were planning to spend on, on climate change, on the, on the Green New Deal. And ours was absolutely ridiculous. It was like the shard of investment, you know, big green bar um, sticking up above all the others. And it's, you know, it's 100 billion pounds a year. Um, and she's like, God, what's this then? Are you going to spend all this money? I'm like, yeah, we are. Yeah. Yes, that's what's needed. It is that level of investment that's needed. Mm -hmm. And um, that was what we went through the whole general election, sort of trying to make that case. And yeah. other people yeah. kind of catch up with us there. And like Sky News, that they're, they're a tricky one to handle, I imagine. You know, and in your job, you're sort of mixing all the time with other politicians. How do you deal with politicians that you meet that are like either climate change deniers or, you know, just don't believe in investing in it? It's it's quite hard. Um, I um, I mean, obviously, some, some people are, are rushing to sort of catch up with us. Um, certainly... I think Labour in the last election and to some extent yeah. the Mayor of London um, and to some extent, and I'll explain why not completely, the council that I'm on, the Labour councillors there who run the council, they more or less do whatever I say at the moment um, because they feel the threat, if that makes sense. Right, yeah. So um, Sadiq Khan will always go, oh yeah, yeah, I'll do what you want. And it's, yeah, of course. And then the actual plans will come out and they're a bit less good than they should be. So like yeah. his energy company that he's just announced, it's not the full type of energy company we need to really get the investment in renewable energy in London going. Um, it's a halfway house, but he'll pretend it's like the best thing in the whole world. In what, in what way is it not quite meeting what we need? It, it's quite complicated, but basically it's, a, it's, a, um, it's an energy company that's not, run by London we are setting up a sort of franchise of another place's energy company so it's right. not it's Robin Hood energy that's based in Nottingham I think and it's called a white label option so we're selling we're, we're being an energy company for people and it's kind of a public thing that we're we're attaching ourselves to um and we're we're sort of selling it as a as a franchise effectively we're wrapping our own London around it yeah. um but it's not based in London it's not um, there to really invest in the renewable energy that we need. It's not part of, for example, Transport for London, where we've got all these rooftops. There's not going to be a huge amount of new investment as a result of this. And, and I think that is a real missed opportunity from the mayor to show some leadership is that he's sort of just tacking it onto something else. Um, so there's that kind of thing goes on. But yeah, in the council, we've been trying to get them to divest from fossil fuels for a very long time. Yeah. And they they will not. They are absolutely adamant that they're right, the right thing to do is to keep the shares in like the oil companies mm. and and do engagement to try and get them to bring their uh, their emissions down. And, and that really isn't the point of the investment campaigns and they will not get it. And the way they will talk to me and the campaigners is really patronising. Yeah. <laughs> and I hate it. I hate yeah. it. I said to one of the reporters in the local papers that it felt like being patted on the head by a granddad. No, oh. I said that at a council meeting and they wrote it in the local paper. I was like, oh, that's a bit hard. <laughs> it's true. It's true. People will, they'll patronise you. They'll go, oh, Sean, that's just not realistic. Or, oh, you know, we, we know what we're doing. I'm like, well, clearly not because there's a crisis so is it yeah, okay. just a tap it doesn't else. is this like mainly men that you're coming up against yes but yeah. 
it, do you feel like because obviously you're a woman in politics and that is like a bit of a minority is that something you feel maybe is it's part of, again it's part of the picture yeah. um you know to be to be that patronizing has to be a little bit gendered um, yeah. but it's all people who've been involved in business right um, so yeah, people who've who like worked in the city are just like, oh, I don't understand. Mind you, there are plenty of people who have worked in the city who've either left or sort of set up new things within the city who get this. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, business knowledge makes you automatic, make, means, you know, you have to be ungreen. Um, there are people who actually do understand this, but a lot of people who are in like mainstream and won't get out of the current models. Yeah, yeah they're not listening. They know better. Yeah. It's so hard to change those minds as well, you know, like this seems very like like rigid. Like what what is your tactic there? Like <laughs> how do you you're gonna take their power away? That's this is why I'm you know, I'm a campaigner. This is part of my career has been as a yeah. campaigner. I've you know tried to persuade politicians to do things. I've been successful in some cases from outside doing the campaigning side of things. But ultimately, unless you're taking away their votes and, and actually going into the positions where you can make the decisions, they're not going to really listen to you. They'll always do lip service and then forget yeah. about it as soon as you like go back home for a bit. Um, so yeah, it's it's by getting the permanent changes, and that means that means getting political yeah. influence and power. So are you literally saying to like the councillors that they need to completely ditch oil, any invest, you know, any use of oil or any investment of oil and replace it with a, a green option? Like, a, and is yeah. it like there on the plate for them to choose? And they're just basically saying, no, we need to just keep doing something with oil. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's a very mature movement now, the divestment movement. I think, I can't remember yesterday, there was news that like the majority of universities have now completely divested and it's things like pension funds. So, uh, you know, it's people, um, you know, I don't know, like my generation older, who've got the most money in these pension funds. They yeah. are keen not to have their retirement stranded in assets that are um, so, not needed in 10 years time because we'll have got our fossil fuels yeah. um but also you know the fossil fuel companies have done an awful lot historically to try and prevent climate action yeah, totally yeah um, so, and they're not the right people to be solving it it wouldn't no matter what you know, <laughs> yeah. tell me absolutely yeah so in terms of like actually like how how do we change those oil companies and the people that are making these decisions is it the people that have the influence is it like or is it literally like you are you, are you the only one that's like there in front of a voice and are these bigger you know the councils and everything are they literally making a decision for the rest of our kids and the rest of you know the, the uk in terms of like actually what you know like what gets used and yeah the decision makers because because of, of it being pension funds there's there's like a okay. ton of rules and so there's a there's a committee that makes the investment decisions but like i say in, in whole big organizations now there's been divestment um, and it does work and the, the pensions don't become you know worthless you know there's still a good solid mm -hmm. pension for everybody there and they have to make responsible decisions about people's investments um, but the fact that so many people have done it, the holdouts are looking really stupid now. So. We spoke with climate scientist Tony Bost. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's amazing, like really great guy. Um, and he, he told us that he thinks the weather is just becoming more erratic and we can see more of that in the years to come. Um, we just wondered, what are your party's policies on protecting us against unexpected catastrophic weather events that look like they might be on the increase? 
I mean, they definitely are. This is one of the things, that, again, that's spurring more climate action that people can see with their own eyes. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I've got a science background, so I, I did a science right. degree. The, the, the scientific method is, here's a hypothesis based on some, you know, realistic estimates and, and experience and knowledge about how science works and what carbon dioxide does to the air, all of those things. So this, the climate scientists are saying, well, this sort of thing is going to happen. And then people are seeing more and more this sort of thing happening. So in Australia now, there is an all, there's almost no question that the current set of fires are the end result of lots of changes, you know, weather, hot weather and dry weather and wind and... Uh, and all of those things that are to do with climate change. And so in, in Australia now, the, that debate is kind of over. But for years and years, we, we'd have like a storm and we'd go, oh, there's going to be more of this under climate change. We have been saying, and people go, oh, you can't attribute one storm to climate change. You can't attribute one thing to climate yeah. change. Um, now the pattern is really undeniable. You look at the 10 hottest years, they've been in the last sort of you know, 15 years. Um, there's, there's absolutely no question now that that's going on so we are and, and we're trapped in at least i mean the, the target we're trying to get to is 1.5 degrees of warming mm-hmm. um and that is going to have still quite dramatic effects on the planet yeah. and on our weather and on you know lots of lots of different things in the in the ecosystem um so we have to adapt we have to put those risks down and make plans um, so in London, we, we've been doing some work. My colleague, Caroline Russell, who's a London Assembly member, um, has done an excellent report. We commissioned um, a climate expert to, to go through all the evidence there was of what might be happening to London and what the risks are we should be preparing for. Um, the economic risks, the risk to people's homes, you know, the risks to health um, from overheating and, and severe cold and, and, and all those kinds of things, risk to our food supplies, all that sort of thing. Yeah. And there's big gaps. There's big gaps in the research. Yeah. Um, so he was able to, he did a, it was desktop research, he didn't go out and do field research. He identified the need for lots more research to be done so that we're clearer in London what the risks are that we face and how we need to support, for example, you know, businesses and high streets and prepare our transport system for, for that kind of thing and our homes and um, how, what people we need to look out for and, and what systems of warnings we need. You know, all of that is utterly, un, it's not there yet. Right. Um, and it needs doing. And Caroline's got an excellent report about that. And, and if I were mayor, which I'm trying to be, um, it's, it's the, you know, the research I'd, I'd get on with straight away um, and make preparations for because yeah. you know, we're just going to need it. Yeah. No matter what we do, we're going to be stuck in some climate change. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what do you think uh, that people are unwittingly uh, buying uh, that's actually harming the environment? Um, it might be like something that they just simply cannot give up. Is there any anything that you think um, that we're kind of all having to buy that's impacting? Oh, that's a, I mean, that's a really good question. I mean, yeah, it's system change is what we always talk yeah. about. And, I, you know, I've, I do write books about how to be greener um, and... There are there are you know big things that people might feel a bit unsure about what they should be doing, and you try and answer some of those kinds of questions. Um, but it's really obvious that we should just be you know consuming less stuff, um, reducing and repairing more things, um, and then you know switching as many of your sort of consumer choices as you can to the greener options. So things like your energy bills, if you've not switched to a green supplier, just do it. It's it's you know there are, you can. 
apart from people who are on the the warm um the warmer homes discount the people who are um sort of most disadvantaged and even then there are some green tariffs you can still get mm. um basically switching to a green energy supply which is 100% green and doing lots of investment is super super easy and lots lots of people don't do that because it's like changing your bank account it's 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 a hassle yeah it is yeah um, that would be a good thing obviously like you know the amount you drive and the amount you fly is right there in front of you you're obviously yeah. when you get in a plane you're burning a lot of fossil fuels you can look out the window and see it yeah. um and those are choices that people um are being encouraged to make and it's obvious and so um that's not like a mystery but i think your yeah, energy energy supplies although you know the the grid is getting cleaner you can make a big difference by switching and that would be yeah. amazing if people did that more yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't actually know that. So, like, um, your energy supplier, so whether that's gas, electric, or everything to be house, you can actually choose to um, an environmentally friendly energy supplier. Yeah, even for gas. I mean, obviously, natural gas is, mm. you know, you're, you're, you're being supplied to gas, a lot of which is natural gas, but they will, if you switch to them as a gas supplier they will encourage and, and do more to switch to, to, to biogas, which at the very least is carbon neutral. It's not, it's not making things. Yeah. And again, I didn't, you know, like even I didn't realize there was an alternative to gas. That's like biogas that you can actually use for your home. And it seems it's, like, I mean, you can't change what's coming into your home, but you can support yeah. the development of. Okay. More. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that just seems like totally insane that we've actually got that and we're not choosing to use it. And like, we could almost like, switch over to biogas and then have the oil reserves for like 20, 30 years later or something. And yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think, I think like you know, we've got to get away from burning gas. Yeah, absolutely. Or yeah. air pollution reasons as well. Um, you're yeah. actually producing nitrogen dioxide in your own home when you use the gas yeah. hob. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's not, you know, it's like a, it's not like a you know, toxic hazard right there, but it is a bit, you know, it's not, it's not helping. Yeah. And it's not helping our cities and our gas boilers that are boiling um, the water. You know, there's, they are putting nitrogen dioxide into the air and we've really got to get that down in cities. So yeah, we've got to switch, even if it's biogas. So we've really got to switch away from it. But uh, yeah, meanwhile, you might as well be switching while you can. Yeah. I mean, actually that sort of brings us to my next point. Do you think we've gone past the point now of personal choice on where carbon footprint, you know, do you think maybe it's time for these things to be enforced I mean, we always we always were, um, you know, trying to live in a world where all every single penny you spend is basically tied to carbon emissions. Mm-hmm. Is you know, that's it's impossible to make the right choices. Um, so you can do some stuff that's that's the, you know switch some of the things that are the most damaging, particularly if there are clear choices between companies that are responsible and companies that are very irresponsible. But ultimately, we've got to change the the system to make the 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 greener options the ones that are are right there and part Mm. of the part of the um choices that you make so yeah i think your system change always but that's why again you know part of what i do you know it's system change i don't like being the green police yeah Uh, but you know it's a really hard one isn't it you know because we're sort of at that tip well we're past the tipping point really haven't we you know Well, you know, for collective action of what's it, what the citizens' assemblies, what Extinction Rebellion are after, because it's much healthier to get together as a town and change what your town is doing yeah. than it is to just simply have a go at people. And if the yeah. supermarket is on the edge of town on the ring road and there's no bus, you can't have a go at people for ending up driving. You've got to change what's available in the town centre, get those shops going and, and improve the buses and, and all those things that local campaigning can achieve. 
Yeah, as well though, like that sort of makes me hard to think of it because it feels like that takes so much time and effort, you know. But yeah, I mean, if some places succeed and then others just follow much easier, you know, there is a there is a tipping point and a wave of of action. And mm. once some really good examples have done, there's a you know there's a fashion effect as well. The other towns want to catch up. Yeah. So, the first that's, few places might be a struggle, but but we'll, yeah. you know there'll be a we we say the green wave in terms of like yeah. um, us winning votes across Europe. We've seen all these really successful elections uh, in recent year in this this year particularly, but in recent years in Europe, there's been huge numbers of, of green politicians elected, and we say that's the green wave. And I think it's the same thing. Once once you see it working, you yeah, it gets yeah. Well, it, it's kind of become fashionable now as well like uh, whereas like 10 years ago you'd be called a hippie or like or there'd be so many people who would just be like what are you on about and just not even have the conversation with you but now it's actually fashionable it's kind of fashionable to have a uh water you know like a reusable water bottle uh people will look if you've got a pla- if you buy a plastic bottle it's like that's the worst thing you can do and i think that kind of sends a really good message and wave although it's obviously just a plastic bottle it instills that like thinking in your mind and it's it is like becoming fashionable and I think that's something yeah, we yeah, all need to push um David Attenborough you know mm. god bless him yeah, yeah. Well, you know what an absolute dog because yeah. suddenly people are just like oh hang on do I need this bit of plastic and if you're me for years you've been thinking exactly that about all the you know the cups and the the little milk carts and thingy, you know, all of those little extra bits of plastic that you really don't need. Um, why can't we have different alternatives? Well, there are people who are crying out for those alternatives. Same with um, vegan food. You know, you'd have been a very unusual person to be a vegan not too many years ago. <laughs> um, and now it's very common. There's, there's like whole footballers and, you know, yeah. Olympic athletes and people who are like, oh, yeah, but I'm vegan. And it's totally normal. Um, and that means that you go into shops now and you can buy the actual, you know, plant-based alternatives to a lot of the, the things that, that people were buying before. I know it's just, it's good. It is, yeah. it is like, if we, you know, like we can totally look at like the fires in Australia and all the, the floods like in the UK and things and you can get like proper scared basically but there is loads of really good natural stuff happening especially like the veganism and like people actually realizing that it's more healthier on an olympic scale to eat uh, not eat meat and eat like vegetables and you'll become you'll be, become a better athlete um so it's actually like all these things are just slowly coming about naturally yeah. it's like you it knew, knew there was protein in plants good yeah. lord <laughs> <laughs> Um, just wanted to we're just going to wrap things up a little bit but I just wanted to touch so what what do you do how do you motivate people I don't know I mean I think about how I became much more active in in this kind of movement Mm. um and it it wasn't from people pestering me it was from and I'm going to go back on what I said earlier it was from just finding just ran I mean I worked in the city of London um not as a city of london type person i was just a secretary um but on on my lunch break i saw people coming and doing demonstrations outside banks there was the big anti-capitalist demonstrations in in sort of 1999 and 2000 and i just went along and met the people on the demonstrations and saw that what they were doing and you know took away their leaflets and changed my my mind And, and because there were so many opportunities to 
to go and see demonstrations, I would take them on a field, you know, just say to them, well, you know, if we're meeting, you know, meeting in town on Saturday, should we go and see the school strikers? Friday, sorry. Should we go <laughs> see the school strikers who are, who are going to be doing a thing? Find out something that's a bit more fun and collective where they can see the actual people doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. Going on, or get them along to, um, there's a lot of groups like Extinction Rebellion and the Transition People who run quite interesting talks. Um, so they might do a talk about, you know, our food supply or something like that. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe they'll hate it. Yeah. But they'll have real people doing it and there'll be some literature and you never know, they might read it. And that's kind of how I ended up. I wasn't particularly green until I met people who were doing it as an active thing. So I don't, I don't really want people to get into arguments apart from about whether or not to buy like big things, like whether or not to buy a four by four or have yeah. your wedding in Mauritius um, and things like that. I don't mind if people are like, oh, really, really? You know, that's the, I don't mind that. But if you're going to pass to people on a, like a day-to-day basis, I just think it's not yeah. helpful. Yeah. 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 No, give them give them food for thought instead. Yeah, and so when you see it, you can believe it, can't you? So yeah, that yeah. tangible act. Yeah, brilliant. Um, some leaflets and stuff, you know. That's yeah. uh, just a final question: Is there anything we've missed in this that you'd love people to know? Um, I, and I think people need to know a little bit more about the Green Party and what we yeah. actually do. Um, I mean, we had brilliant elections this year. We've got local councillors. Um, all over the country who are genuinely making a difference in the local areas. And I think, you know, people should look at what the Greens are doing locally um, and keep an eye on, you know, follow our Greens on uh, Twitter, follow our amazing MEPs who are about to lose, which is so depressing because we did so well in that election. Um, but they are all amazing people doing doing great stuff. And I think people should should know more of us and be, we should we yeah. should all be more famous and better known because we are you know there's some there's some brilliant personalities out there like like Majid Majid um Alex is our MEP for the South East we've got um Natalie Bennett who you probably do remember is now in the House of Lords being the most amazing Lord ever she works so hard um alongside Jenny Jones who used to be my colleague uh, well she's been on the London Assembly before me um and I think it's just yeah people should know us yeah That's what people, and they should, you know, I mean, we've got the most amazing history um, on the London Assembly. We've been there for 20 years, making a difference all the way through. Like, we, we stopped Ken Livingston cancelling the cycling budget for completely once back in the day. That's the sort of thing we've, we've had to do all this time. We've got an amazing, amazing history. So, yeah, get to, get to know your greens. So there you have it, Sean Berry. Sean Berry. What a brother! There's an echo in here. Uh-huh. Uh, she was brilliant, wasn't she? Yeah, she was amazing. Yeah. So if you're in London on the fifth, I think it's the fifth of May. It's around know. that time, but I'm sure people in London will. Yeah. If you're one of those guys that likes to climb the apples and pears, you know, <laughs> cut me buttons to oh cut me to, you know, I'm I'm going there with the accent, right? If if you're in London around that time, if you live there and you kick can vote, some, uh, kick some pigeons out of the way and <laughs> run down to your local ballot box brilliant I love it run past all those red letter boxes uh, say hello to the Queen on the way <laughs> uh, just set your watch in time with Big Ben and vote for Sean Berry that's Definitely. what I reckon anyway yeah, yeah. brilliant uh, so we'll be back next week we sure will come and join us uh, for more climate climate crisis chats <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll see you then see you later see you later